Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where this weekend we have something called the Super Size Sunday. That's right, this Sunday only, our tournament guarantees are having $900,000 added over six tournaments, including a $630 buy-in special $1 million guaranteed high roller starting at 12 p.m. this coming Sunday, March 26th on America's Card Room. My name is Clayton Fletcher and I'm in Verona, New York. I don't want to say fabulous Verona. I don't think I can say bucolic Verona unless I do so tongue in cheek. I'm at the Turning Stone Resort Hotel, Casino and Spa where we are having something called the World Series of Poker Circuit Event New York. I believe it's the first time they've ever done a circuit event in the state of New York. And well, let's just say my first impression of the Turning Stone is that uh, it, it could use some updating both in decor and uh, particularly in the area of customer service. I have not been impressed with the way the staff treats the customers here. It feels very much like a locals place that is the only casino for many, many miles, and they are accustomed to treating the customers poorly. And I think that all the poker players who have come here from all over, uh, many people like to travel with the WSOP circuit, and they also seem to be equally as unimpressed as I am. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. The action in the poker games has been excellent. The cash games are wild and crazy. They have a rule, even at the 1-3 level, that you're allowed to match the biggest stack at the table. And most players show up ready to match that stack, and the chips are flying. It's not like the action has been dead, but I just haven't been impressed with the customer service. And by the way, that goes for the dealers. I played in a PLO tournament the other day, and my dealer was a a large man uh, with a scraggly beard, probably in his late 50s. Um, He has a very thick Southern accent, and his name is Christopher. I get the impression that Christopher travels um, as a dealer on the WSOP circuit, and he was downright rude. I mean, right away, he told the players, I don't normally deal PLO. I ain't good at it, and you guys are going to have to do all the math. So that was my first impression of Christopher as I sat down at the very beginning of this $600 circuit ring event, of which $80 goes to various um, other places besides the prize pool, like the staff bonus and the dealer incentive and all these other fees that are taken out. Now, I understand when I play in a poker tournament, some percentage of that tournament is going to be rake, but $80 out of a $600 buy-in is extremely high. And I would think at least when you're paying that much to play in a poker tournament, you shouldn't have to start off with the dealer telling you that he doesn't know how to deal the game. (laughs) Maybe for 80 bucks, you guys can get me somebody that knows what he's doing. 
Uh, so anyway, after a few minutes of dealing, Christopher, for the third time, gave each player two cards. Remember, guys, this is Pot Limit Omaha. So I just said, keep dealing. And he said, all right, I know, I know. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, it sure seemed like you had stopped, but maybe you needed a little break. Now, look, was that the most polite thing for me to say? Of course not. Am I a stand-up comedian who can't help being snarky when someone is being unprofessional? Yes, and that is a tragic flaw for this comic hero. Okay, look, I'm sorry that I couldn't help myself, but it was clear that he forgot for the third time in about 10 minutes that we were playing PLO, and he also told us we were going to have to help him, so I did my part to help him remember what game we're playing, the one in which each player is supposed to be dealt four cards face down at the beginning. So anyway, he did not like that at all, and he said, I can see you're going to be a problem. This is the dealer I'm talking about. He said, you messing with the wrong guy. I am not the one in that tone of voice. So this was my uh, lovely welcome to Turning Stone. And uh, you could feel the tension at the table after that. The table had been somewhat jovial before that, as PLO tables tend to be. Uh, but yeah, this one, after he made that remark, everyone was pretty much quiet until he was thankfully tapped out a few minutes later and you know full disclosure replaced by someone who actually knew what she was doing so anyway that was one experience i had i also had dinner at the steakhouse and they served me a tomato in a salad that had a sticker on it you know like when you go to the grocery store and like you buy tomatoes and they have stickers on them so yeah thankfully i did not eat the sticker (laughs) Also, the chef has no idea what medium rare means. I'm just saying, guys, I'm probably not coming back to the Turning Stone Hotel, Resort, Casino, and Spa anytime soon. Let me know if you've been here. I did meet a few players. Um, Shout out to Guy and David, friends that I made that uh, told me, said hello and told me that they listened to the podcast. Um, Yeah, I don't expect that I will be coming up into this neck of the woods again anytime soon. Uh, But as I'm recording this on Thursday, I'm finished playing tournaments. I did not cash in anything, but the cash games have been going pretty well. So I'll probably just finish recording this podcast tonight and then uh, get back into those cash game streets, having gone 0 for 4 in the uh, circuit events here. But I do have some interesting hands that I played in the $400 circuit event with the uh, $100,000 guarantee. By the way, all of the guarantees are being shattered. I mean, obviously there are a lot of poker players in this area, as well as people that traveled from places like Canada and Syracuse and, you know, just kind of this part of the world upstate. I definitely met some guys from Ohio and Michigan as well who had made the trip um, to Western New York to participate in this event. I just think it would have been nice for those players as well as myself to have been greeted with, let's just say, more appropriate customer service. Let's just say the Turning Stone is not the Bellagio. But anyway, before I get to a couple of hands, I have a couple of feel-good stories for you. Some of you may have seen this on Poker News or wherever else, but at the Win, you guys know how much I love the Win in Las Vegas. They are doing something there called the Win Millions. And one of the side events there was a $500,000 guaranteed tournament. And it was won by a player named Nikhil Guerra. And I'm almost sure 
I have mispronounced his name. Well, at the same time as Nikhil was playing in the win millions, 500K guaranteed, his mother, Manju, was out in Los Angeles at the Gardens Casino where she won the Mystery Bounty Tournament on the very same night. So while son is in Vegas crushing, mom was in LA crushing. And you know what, guys? This just brings such a smile to my face because I learned poker from my own mother, as many of you know. And I just think it's so fun to see them both having success at the very same time in different cities. So big congratulations to Nikhil and his mother, Manju, and uh, I guess they're going to have a really nice summer vacation together or something like that. Um, In other poker news, it must be mentioned, my friend Cherish Andrews, who I've known for many, many years, she is a a very well-respected poker player. She won the um, female POY. I guess they still separate the female POY from the male POY. But anyway, Cherish could win either, to be honest. And she had an incredible year in 2022. Well, that continues as she won the $400, $100,000 guaranteed at the very same aforementioned Win Millions Festival. So congrats to Cherish, and I hope that you continue to crush. She has been putting in the work for a great many years, and she really deserves all the success. Another feel-good story that I want to share is uh, someone that I've mentioned more than once here on the podcast. One of my all-time favorite people in all of poker is a player by the name of Jackie Burkhart. You guys may have seen her on TV. She's gotten a little bit of coverage on uh, the World Series of Poker main event as seen on ESPN a few years back. And she and her bestie, Angela Jordison, who are kind of like, you know, the modern day version of Antonio and Phil. They're just, you know, they're kind of always joined at the hip. They're very good friends. They both live in the Pacific Northwest. Well, the two of them have started a GoFundMe with the goal of raising enough money to send at least eight military veterans to the Salute to Warriors event this summer in the World Series of Poker. Now, I've had members of the military in my family. Um, The military is very important to me. I love this idea. So the GoFundMe is designed to actually have a few warriors in the Salute to Warriors event. So I'm going to donate to this. I hope you guys will too. I'm going to put a link to the GoFundMe in the description of this podcast. So if you guys have a few extra bucks to spare. Their goal is $15,000. I'm pretty sure they're going to exceed it. But, you know, maybe if they get a lot more, they can send even more veterans to the World Series of Poker Salute to Warriors tournament, which takes place June 25th in fabulous Las Vegas. All right, let's get to a couple of these poker hands. I know you guys are into strategy, as am I. I know lately we've been talking about the WSOP main event 2022 version, but today I'm going to veer away from that just because I'm here at the Turning Stone in Verona, New York, and I want to talk about a couple of the hands that I personally played this week. And as always, I won't tell you what my opponents had if I even know what they had until the hand is over so that you can play along with Clayton here on the podcast. They held a $400 buy-in tournament with a $100,000 
guaranteed prize pool, which as mentioned, they absolutely obliterated. I think they got closer to $200,000 in this prize pool. Uh, it's yeah, it's $400 buy-in. We were nine-handed. We, we were 10-handed for a while, but at this point in the tournament, we had moved uh, to nine-handed. I was doing great. They start you off with 40000 By the time the blinds were 400 800 I had over 100000 and the average stack was just under 60000 That's if the numbers on the board were updated, which no one can really say whether they were or not. Anyway, in this hand, the action folds to the button, who was a reasonable young player, probably late 20s, early 30s, little baseball cap going, little backpack, possibly a true circuit grinder type. Um, he hasn't really gotten out of line. Many of the players in this tournament had been playing a, a slightly unusual tournament style, lots of limping and then calling big raises. Um, like I mentioned, the action here was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, this player, he seemed pretty reasonable. So he's on the button. He's not doing very well, though. He's only got 30000 behind. And his M, therefore, is right around fifteen, Or if you prefer, he's got 36, 37 times the big blind in his stack. And he makes it 2000 which uh, may sound large to you, but that's kind of been the standard raise sizing at this tournament table and hero clayton is in the big blind with the queen of hearts four of hearts so queen four suited facing a raise of 2.5 times the big blind uh it's pretty close i know that a lot of the pre-flop charts that i've seen would recommend calling with any two suited for a min raise or a slightly above min raise this is a slightly bigger than that raise and usually those charts are based on 40 big blind stacks and this player has 37 36 37 bigs so if you guys want to fold that's fine with me i mean maybe my queen is live maybe it isn't uh i could make a flush that ends up being no good in other words although the solver may have us calling with this hand i i don't really think you're losing a whole lot of value if you just throw it away and move on to the next one um i opted to call I knew it was close, but I decided to give action because, and this is important, I felt like my table image was uh, pretty gangster. I had the biggest stack at my table. I had made a few um, plays that other players at the table had seemed impressed by, and so I felt like I had a good, tough, professional table image. And so when I have that type of image, I'm more inclined to play hands than if I look like I'm losing and I'm tilty and I don't know what I'm doing. So in this at this table, I felt like I was getting a little bit of respect. And so that kind of tilted the scales, for me at least, towards calling with the queen four of hearts. So now we're going to be heads up from out of position, hero in the big blind holding the queen of hearts, four of hearts. And now with 5,200 in the middle... The flop comes 10 of hearts, 6 of hearts, deuce of clubs. And I check, as I pretty much will 100% of the time from the big blind when I'm heads up. And the opponent bets 3,000, which I kind of took to mean that he might be strong. I was concerned that he could have an overpair. Notice this bet is 3K into 5,200. This guy's good enough to know that his continuation bet sizing can be small, uh, especially on a board that's you know not that wet like this one. A typical 
seabed size in this situation might be 2,000, maybe 2,200. He didn't really have to go all the way up to 3K. Maybe I read too much into it, but at the time I felt like there was a reasonable chance that I was up against an overpair. And for that reason, I wasn't looking to check raise and then have to call a shove. Remember guys, he only starts with about 30,000 in his stack. So whereas normally we like to you know do a lot of check raise, semi-bluffing with our flopped flush draws, in this situation, I decided to just call. So I, I don't normally play it this way. I like to have a good, solid check raising range, but I went with a read here, which I felt that my opponent had a hand like pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens, maybe, but I have a queen, or possibly pocket jacks. So I wasn't excited to check raise. I was worried that I was going to get action. But at the same time, we have outs, so we need to call and try to see another card. So now with 11,200 in the middle, and our opponent has 25,000-ish in his remaining stack, and the turn comes the ace of clubs. Now when that turn came down, I was paying attention to my opponent. And I was not looking at the turn card. I was watching my opponent who was watching the turn card. And I, I saw on his face a look of disappointment. So I don't think that he liked the ace of clubs. However, without the read, with strictly game theory optimization in mind, this is a much better card for our opponent's range than it is for hours. So I fully expected him to bet that card because again, I had a read on him that he was a decent player and he should know that ace is going to hit so many more of his hands than it will of mine. However, he checked behind and I felt like maybe the door had been slightly opened for me to potentially take this pot away. And so with 11,200 still in the pot, I watched my opponent watch the river, which turned out to be the king of clubs. For a final board of ten of hearts, six of hearts, deuce of clubs, ace of clubs, king of clubs. And again, I felt that my opponent looked disappointed by the card. And also, I don't think he was aware that I was paying attention to him. So with that in mind... It just felt like too good of a spot for me to check and give up. I felt that my opponent's most likely holding was pocket jacks or possibly even a pair below tens. And now he really hates all these over cards. But just in case, I decided to go for the over bet here. Now, keep in mind, I do have a queen and uh, queen jack makes a straight. Also, the backdoor flush came in, which of course is not the flush I was trying to make. But I know I'm not going to win this pot with queen high. So I decided to go for it. And I made a polarizing bet of about 150% of the pot. I stuck 16,000 in with about 11K in the middle. Remember, guys, my opponent only has 25K at this point. So if he calls the 16 and loses, he's only going to have 9,000 when the blinds are about to go up to 500, 1,000. So I felt like my 16K was actually stronger than putting him all in. It looked to me more like I wanted a little bit of action and was trying to leave him a few chips when I have the nuts. I don't know. It's the little mind games we play. 
but also, it, it, you know, in reality, it saves me another 9K when he has the nuts himself, which he will some percentage of the time. He could have hit that River King and just, you know, did a good job of acting and throwing me off the scent. He could have also hit three aces on the turn, and I just bought the whole act hook, line, and sinker. But anyway, he waited about 30 seconds and then folded his hand face up pocket jacks. So pretty good read by me on all streets. I thought, you know, had I check raised the flop, there's a really good chance that with that stack size, opponent would have tried to get all in. And then he would have ended up winning this hand because as you see, I didn't hit a queen or a flush to beat him. Uh, so that's what would have happened, kind of results oriented there. But I, that does explain why you don't want to just always do what the solver says to do. You also want to get a read on your opponent. You want to make decisions that are based not only on theory, but also on your live read. I mean, the point of playing live poker is you can see everyone. You can talk to everyone. You can sense how strong or weak everyone is. And some players are really great at hiding those things. This player, unfortunately for him, was not. So I ended up winning that pot. And at that point, we were cruising and a little while later, the blinds went up to 500, 1K with a 1K big blind ante, at which time I had 125,000 in my stack, and the average was now about 65 or so. And in this pot, same table, um, an old guy in early position just decides to limp right on in there with <laughs> only 40,000 behind. So he puts in one of his 40,000 chips, 1,000 of his 40,000 in limping from early position. Now, I've seen this player limp several times. It didn't set off alarm bells like he would only ever do this with pocket aces, which, by the way, the old limp in from early position and then three bet as a back raise uh, strategy is one that I'm seeing less and less and less, both online and live. Let me know if you're seeing it as much as you did two or three years ago, because I feel like that strategy has been uncovered. And nowadays, most players just know, just go ahead and raise open with your aces. Don't limp. Anyway, it folds to me on the button behind this limper. I've got the ace of spades and jack of clubs. And uh, taking a peek at the blinds, I see the small blind has about 80,000 and doesn't look particularly interested in playing this pot. Now, the big blind is interesting. Um, he's a 40-ish local player with like a Syracuse hat on. So I know he kind of lives in the area, most likely. Um, he's very large. He's around 40 years old. He looks like he considers himself a tough guy. And uh, he just bought into the tournament. You can tell because he's just got three chips, one 25K chip and three 5K chips, which is what they give you when you late register. So he just bought in. So I don't know exactly what he's planning to do, but he looks interested in the pot. I don't really know if he's even looked at his cards yet, but I decide to make a big raise here. You know, I'm going to punish that limper. I'm going to try to, as Alex Fitzgerald would say, build a big pot in position with superior holdings versus weaker opponents. So I'm trying to isolate the old guy who limped in, and I absolutely don't mind if he wants to call this raise and then check fold to me. Uh, that's what I'm hoping would happen, but unfortunately for us, the big blind decides to call. Now, bear in mind, he's already put in over 10% of his stack into this pot, and now it's a pretty big one. Maybe I raised too much? We'll see. 
because the pot is now 15,000 and each of our opponents has approximately 35,000 behind. And the flop comes king of hearts, nine of spades, tray of clubs, king, nine, tray, rainbow, hero holding the ace of spades, jack of clubs for no pair and no draw unless you count some very unlikely back doors. Both opponents check to me, and if there's one thing I've learned in my short visit to Verona, New York, it's that bluffing bad players at the turning stone is a bad strategy. I hope my ace jack is good, but I know if I bet and it's not, there's 0% chance they're going to fold even a pair of deuces. (laughs) These guys like to call, so I'm not trying to bluff. I'm hoping my ace jack holds up three-handed. I check behind, and now with still 15,000 in the pot, we make a pair. The turn is the ace of diamonds for a board of king, nine, tray, ace, badoogie, And again, both of my opponents check. Now, I did something that might be a little bit unorthodox here, and I decided to check behind. I did so for deception. I feel like people do get scared of the ace, and they tend to fold on the turn more often than they do on the river. You know, you've got the leverage, the hammer of future betting, whatever you want to call it. When you bet on 4th Street, they have to worry that you're going to bet again. In order for me to get value for this pair of aces, I think my best play is to wait until the river, keeping in mind that there are hardly any draws available, and I'm just not too worried about what comes off. If I'm good now, I'm almost certainly going to be good again on the end. So I check behind, and we're trying to control this pot. It's already kind of inflated thanks to my possibly too large pre-flop raise sizing. And now with 15,000 still remaining in the pot, the river comes the four of spades. So the final board is king, nine, tray, ace, four, no flush. And again, both opponents check. Well, at this point, I can't check again, right? I've got top pair and a good kicker, and it doesn't look like these guys are too interested in the pot. So I put in 6,000, hoping to get a curious call from a hand like maybe King Jack, Pocket Eights, 10-9, any number of hands that could call getting a decent price on the river, not worrying about me reopening the betting. So that was the plan. I bet 6K into 15K. And the big blind, the large local that I described earlier, check raises to 25,000 and the limper folds. This was a very unexpected turn of events for me. Generally speaking, players do not check-raise bluff on the river in $400 tournaments. Uh, Making matters worse is the fact that I don't know anything about this guy other than what I've noticed about the way he looks and the way he carries himself, which isn't really much to go on. On the other hand, I have very much underrepresented my hand and usually when you do that you need to call when someone tries to put pressure on you so this was a really tough spot i don't know what would you do given the uh situation where i bet into two opponents and then one of them check raised me what would you do and before i tell you guys what i did in this spot I want to remind you about the TPE free roll this Sunday. That's right. The same day that we're having our supersized Sunday tournaments, you can also play 
in the Tournament Poker Edge free roll on America's Card Room. It starts at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, New York City Time, or wherever else you might be on the East Coast. It's a $1,000 free roll, no buy-in required, and first prize is a guaranteed $201. We are going to be giving information on how you can enter that free roll this Sunday in the TPE Discord, which you can join for free by clicking the link in the description of this podcast episode. Also, guys, if you're not yet a member of America's Card Room, what are you waiting for? Click the link in the description and you can get a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 just by using the promo code TPE. And we hope to see you all this Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Tournament Poker Edge free roll courtesy of America's Card Room. All right, getting back to the hand, I got check raised on the river holding ace jack and I made a pair on the turn. So what am I supposed to do? I said 6,000. This guy put in 25,000. He just bought in. I think it's the very first hand he played. It might have been hand number two. So what am I supposed to do? Guys, I decided to make the lay down here just because I find that check raise bluffs on the river are so rare and even more rare when one has two opponents. But now I've been second-guessing myself ever since because this player turned out to be pretty wild and pretty loose, and I may have trusted my initial read of him was that he thought he was a pretty tough guy. And so when I underrepped my pair of aces so much, I probably have to pay off the check raise, even though check raise bluffs on the river are extremely rare This guy did strike me, especially after I played with him for a little while, to be the type who actually is capable of making such a play. So if I could go back in time, I'd love to know what he check-raised both of us with on the river there. But uh, yeah, of course, he didn't show it, and now I'll never know, and I just need to forget about it. But yeah, I mean, how often do you check-raise bluff on the river, and how often do you see other players do so in $400 buy-in? circuit events. I'd love to hear your thoughts either in the TPE Discord or you guys can always follow me on Twitter at Clayton Comic. It's been fun here in Turning Stone, but I'm pretty much ready to get back to New York and all of the fun adventures I have, particularly in the comedy clubs there this weekend. By the way, guys, if you want to see me in New York, I will be appearing at West Side Comedy Club this Saturday night, March 25th at 6 p.m., 8 p.m., and 10 p.m. 75th in Amsterdam on New York City's Upper West Side. Get your tickets now at westsidecomedyclub.com. For everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and with special thanks, as always, to our very generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.
Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, if it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa. Love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my, no, she can't.